before, before we open up the Bible and, and, and look at today's um, passage, first of all, uh, greetings from London, uh, Revelation Church. Um, second of all, thank you for your warm welcome and the nice coffee and the oat milk. That was really nice. And um, just being together with you guys is, is, is wonderful. I know some of you a little bit from Leeds and other gatherings, but many of you I don't know. Hopefully you've got a rough sense of, uh, of who I am as a result of that interview. Um, but um, the next half an hour or so is not about me, it's about Jesus. Amen? Amen! Amen. 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 Alright, I'm going to get you guys responded. I'm going to get you guys shouting. Anyone, anyone, any Pentecostals in the house? Uh, there's one. I want to ask you some questions. What does God, what does God most desire? It's an interesting question to try and answer. What does God most desire? There's probably a number of ways you could answer that, biblically. But one of the ways you could answer it is this. A dwelling place where he feels very comfortable. One of the stories through the Bible is this whole idea of a dwelling place for God. Um, that God is looking for somewhere to dwell where he can be among his people and comfortable and happy. Um, so through the Bible you find a story of the ta- you know, first of all the Garden of Eden was something of a temple, then you get the, the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, and then the second temple, um, and then we have Jesus, who's the house of God, and then the church. Um, and so one of the things God most desires is the church, his people that he can dwell amongst and be comfortable in. Second question, what do we most long for? Again, you could probably answer it a few ways. But one of the ways you could answer it would be the presence of God in community. The presence of God with one another. Closeness, being known and loved with others in the presence of God. Does that sound like a nice thing to you? A a desirable thing? Not to feel isolated? It's fascinating, isn't it? In the book of Genesis, God looks at Adam, who's in a perfect relationship with him, and says, it's not good for the man to be... Alone. God's assessment of Adam is that he's alone. This is before, he, before, this is before sin. He's in a perfect relationship with God and God says, this man's alone. Fascinating. Which is why sometimes in the songs that we sing things, sing things like, you're all I need, I'm not quite sure if I can sing it. And I feel really unspiritual, really bad. I'm a bad Christian, I'm miming. <laughs> but it's part of it that goes, well, he, he is enough, but he's almost said he's not enough, if that makes sense. He's almost said, I made you for one another as well as for me. And so something about knowing him, but also being connected with people that you know and love and that know and love you is a big one, isn't it? Yes. Church, when we're known, we know, we're loved, we love in the presence of God. So one of God's greatest desires is church. One of the things we most long for is church. Third and final question, what does our world most need? You can answer it in a number of ways. One of the ways you could legitimately answer it would be a church on fire. Church who really does love the Lord and really does love one another and really is walking in holy, a kind of holy love. It's, it's love, but it's, it's, it's got a heavenly mark on it. It's not just that they're nice to one another. It's, it's holy. It's different. The, the fragrance, the flavor of it makes you go, wow, what is that? That's what our world most needs to see a glorious church. And so whenever, whenever church becomes marginal in our thinking, we've moved away from one of the things that God most desires, 
one of the things we most long for, and one of the things the world most needs. So it's ever so important as we think about church today that we allow the Holy Spirit through the Bible to lift our gaze that we might see again what the church, who the church is and who the, who the Lord is making her into. Amen? Amen? So let's read together. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. If you've got a Bible with you, please turn there in your, in your Bible. It's going to come up on the screen, but it's also good to be able to just um, turn there so you can become familiar with finding out what books are where and all the rest of it. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Say I when you found it. Aye. You're liars. Right, here we go. <laughs> I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you know, let's start again. Can we read this together? Come on, let's read this together. Sorry, Mr. Mr. Slides. Right, here we go. Mr. Slides, that's your new nickname. Is that alright? Sorry. Okay, here we go. All together, you ready? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for your word. Thank you it's alive. I pray that you would help me to be faithful 
in speaking your word this morning. We pray that your word would run free in the power of the Holy Spirit and would inspire things in people's hearts and minds that might even be beyond what we might ask or imagine. We ask in the name of Jesus for the work and power of the Holy Spirit to be released through the words. Amen. Amen. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work backwards. We're going to, because we've started with my introduction with a glorious church, right? One of the things God most desires, we most long for, and the world most needs. What we see at the end of this passage here is a glorious church. We see a church that is building itself up in love. It's an extraordinary phrase. Have you ever, if I said to you, who builds up the church, who would you say? Gosh. <laughs> 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 Yeah, don't, yeah, but that's just because you've just read that. You wouldn't have said that. <laughs> you said Jesus. I didn't even understand what I just read. Oh, alright. Well, it's always that. Right. Normally we say Jesus because Jesus said, I will. Absolutely. It's true. But there's something, there's something about the actual way that plays out when it's really healthy. Because Jesus, by his spirit, is indwelling each one of us. Where actually, one of the key ways, I guess, that Jesus built his church is that the body builds itself up in love. Something happens between the people whereby Jesus, by his spirit, is at work in such a dynamic way through the way that we relate to one another and build each other up that the church becomes all that it should be. That's the dynamic that we have here in this passage. It uses these phrases that make our hearts sing. Unity of the faith. I mean, the thought of... The church, the the church of Jesus Christ coming together, united in the faith, not divided, not arguing, not just coming together and pretending to agree, but the unity of the faith. What a glorious idea. It's God's plan for a mature church. It isn't arguing over, over the main elements of doctrine, but that we're in agreement that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That he was genuinely raised from the dead. That he's alive. That he's coming back again. That we would be in agreement on these things in a powerful, fervent way. The unity of the faith. Other phrases like the knowledge of the Son of God. That we would together really know Jesus. You know, biblically that word know, it's 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 an experience word. It's not just a theory word. You know, we tend to think, you know, if I said to you, you know, oh, did you, the capital of, you know, Athens... (laughs) Capital of Athens. Capital of Greece is what? Athens. Right. Right, I just don't know, I just told you. I couldn't think of another one on the top of my head, so I went with the same one. So you say, do you know do you know the capital of Greece? Yeah, but you don't. Well, some of you might do. Who's been to Athens? So you do. Why? Because you've experienced it. And sometimes as Christians we think if we just know the facts and we kind of know, you know, I know about Jesus, I know the facts. It's important, you, there's, a, there's a body of belief that we, that we commit to, but there's an experience of Jesus Christ, isn't there? Yeah. There's that knowing Him, there's that living relationship by the Holy Spirit. That is the knowledge of the Son of God. It's not just that you know certain facts, facts or even that you agree with them, but that you know Him, but that He dwells in you by His Spirit. You see, this is, a mature church is a church that is deepening in its knowledge of the Son of God. We know Christ and love Him together. These are deep and powerful phrases. It talks about coming to, becoming a mature man. That's an interesting phrase to talk about the church. It talks about becoming the fullness of the stature of Christ. What's it talking about? Well, the image is Christ as the head, 
us as the body. And what it's saying is, is that actually sometimes things are a bit out of proportion. The head's a bit too big for the body. The body's shrunken. The body's not, you know, it's not right. You think, it's glorious Jesus Christ. And you see the church and you go, oh, you know? And it, people, you hear people, don't you? I love Jesus, I read the Bible. I love Jesus, but then I went to church and well, it didn't seem anything like that. You hear these things, don't you? And your heart breaks. Because God's plan is act. God's plan is, is this sublime that the church itself will grow in such a glorious way that she actually fits him. That actually the glory and the stature and the spiritual maturity that she carries is actually in proportion to him. This is glorious church, you see. It's just the plan of God. This is what God wants to do. Not blown around by all kinds of funny ideas and new doctrines and deceitful schemes. Solid. Mature church. Not vulnerable in that sense. Loving, truthful, one another in the body, speaking the truth to one another in love. Do you like the sound of this church? Yes. Right answer. <laughs> but this passage says that something has produced that. You think, well, what, what has produced that? Well, the, this passage says that actually it's some ministries. These ministries we call Ephesians 4 ministries. These apostles, prophets, evangelists pastor, teachers, their involvement somehow has produced this church. So another way that Jesus builds his church is that he gives gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The people themselves are gifts to the church. They are given. It's not that they have a gift. They are the gifts. That's what the passage says. So they themselves come as a gift to Christ's church and through the grace on them as they serve the church. And they're all preaching gifts, all of them. You know, just that. All of them are preaching ministries. As they serve the church through the word, something happens. A grace is given which causes something to happen in the church. But before we get into detail into those ministries, which is where we're going to go today, I want us to look at the result of those ministries. The end result is what we just looked at, the glorious church. But what are those ministries doing? Because this is a big, a common mistake people make. They think, let's get an evangelist in, then some people will get saved. But in their minds what they're thinking is, get the evangelist in, get them in touch with people who don't know Jesus, and get them preaching the gospel. Well, it's not totally wrong, but it's not what this passage says, is it? It says that they will do it. They will equip the... Stand up if you're a saint. It's a fascinating nervousness that goes on in that moment. Okay, okay, you can sit down. You see, it's a fascinating nervousness. Probably some of you only stood up because most people did. You know, some of you just think, I'm going to see what the major, majority response is and follow suit. Biblically, a saint is not a super special Christian. A saint is a Christian. It's not, you know, the, uh, certain denominations would make us feel like, you know, you, you reach a point of special maturity and wonder, you become a saint. Actually, holy one is what the word means, and it is, it is a term referring to Christians. If you are a born-again believer, you are a saint. So when you introduce yourself next time, you can put saint on the front. <laughs> How's that sound? You up for that? When you, when you fill out the forms, you know the passport forms, uh, Mr. Mrs. Reverend? No, S-T, saint. We just put saint in there instead. Biblically, you're a saint if you're a believer. You've been, you've been born again. But so often believers don't, they don't even think about themselves. They think about themselves as just sort of sinners, but with, some, uh, uh, with a Jesus robe on top. 
You know, but deep down, I'm still like I was. The Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. At your core, you are fundamentally brand new. You still live with sinful desires. Of course you do. We all do. We all do. But at your core now, you want to please God. That's in your heart. You are a saint. You could not get there naturally. And so these ministries come and they equip the saints for the work of service. So the main reason an evangelist should come is that there's a grace on that evangelist to speak to the saints, the church. And as they speak and talk of um, the gospel and talk of our calling to share, that faith is imparted and we begin to do the stuff. That's how it works, you see. That's what this passage is teaching. They equip the saints, you see. Now, I want to just drill into this for a few moments. Uh, Sam said we've got an hour and a half, so I'm, I'm doing all, I'm, 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 I've still got another an hour and ten, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> so, um, I, wanna, I do want to drill into this for a few minutes, okay. So many Christians it's, do not... Maybe it's their desire not to be proud, but they underestimate the value of their presence. They under, oh, if I don't go to church or small group, or if I don't get involved with that, it'll still happen. My question to you is, what would happen if we all thought like that? Oh, so-and-so would do it. They're more gifted than me. They're more confident than me. Anyone ever anyone familiar with that way of thinking? Let me tell you, when you are somewhere, it makes a difference. Okay? When you are somewhere and you serve a coffee, or you say hello to someone, or you say how you're doing, it makes a difference. When you, are, when, when, you, when you say, I'm going to be there, your presence there changes what that thing is. That thing would not have been exactly the same if you hadn't have been there. Why? Because you carry the presence of God with you. Yeah. And, he, and it, you mustn't get to this thing of, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not all loud and bubbly like so. Does anyone do that? I'm not, I'm not, they always don't know what to say. I'm just, I'm just quiet. Go along and be quiet to the glory of God. Yeah. <laughs> be who you are. Yeah. Be who you are. Because a lot of people are intimidated by loud people and they look for someone quiet. <laughs> yeah. You see, you've got to understand that your presence counts. God's plan to have a dwelling place he's comfortable in, to produce something that you long for and something that this world needs, involves you. Believe it or not. We've really got to come through on this. Really got to come through on it. So, so many believers, they listen to this Negative narrative. It's not true. It's idea. Overlooked, disqualified. You know, do, do you understand the grace of God? The grace of God means this. We are qualified through Jesus. Not through ourselves. I can stand here today and preach and hold my head up high. Not because I'm some spiritual heavyweight. But because of the grace of God. Jesus has paid for my sins with his blood. So I can stand before you and not be ashamed. That's the only reason. But it's way enough. It's way sufficient. I can stand before anyone and hold my head up high because of the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. So important that we understand this, that we grasp this, that we live in the good and the richness of this. It's such a strategy of the enemy to get you disqualified in your thinking. Get you marginalised. Get you out on the edge. Or thinking you're out on the edge when you're even not. Anyone have that one? Sitting around thinking... I'm out on the edge, everyone else is in the thick of it. What's everyone else thinking? I'm out on the edge, everyone else is in the thick of it. It's such a strategy. We've got to learn to throw it off. We've got to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give way to that. Because it, it just nullifies us and it isolates us and we end up in pockets rather than this body building itself up in love. If you are filled with those thoughts, you, are, you will end up being self-consumed. You won't see the need in another person. You won't be able to love them. You'll be so busy thinking about yourself and how you don't fit in. 
You're going you're to miss how you could just be a little blessing here and there. It's so important, brothers and sisters, to believe in the grace of God. Because without this sense of us all together saying, yeah, I've got a, I am in this. I, by, by the grace of God, I am in this. He has put me here. I have a part to play. And because he has put me here, and he's the one who made me, I can play my part here being who I am. Not trying to be something else. That's a killer. It's exhausting. Anyone tried that? It's exhausting. We used to have this this woman in our church, and she's the exact opposite personality of my wife. And my wife used to say, I wish I could be like her. And when she just got, got, got fed up of herself, she'd just say, I'm going to be, and she'd say this from the and say, in case you know her, I'm going to be, and she'd say this thing. And we would just laugh our heads off, because it's like, you can have two more opposite people. But this woman was really quiet, you know, that's not my wife at all. And she's like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be her. I'm just going to be serene. You know? And we'd laugh about it, because it's ridiculous. It's not her. It's not her. My wife's a jack-in-the-box. That's what she is. I still can't figure out after 22 years. It's a part of the fun. It's a part of the adventure. That's who she is, you see. So if you never come to that place where you can really truly be yourself, oh for goodness sake, <laughs> so many believers, they leave their personality on the, on the door of the church. They change when they come in. You have to actually get them around the Monopoly board to find out who they are. <laughs> so around something competitive. And they either won't engage or will lose badly. Oh, because you see people when they, their personality comes through God saved you and qualified you not to make you into a clone but to release you yeah, full of the Holy Spirit to be all that you're called to be Amen, Amen. we've got to believe that and we've got to live that out then the church begins to be colourful and multidimensional people can walk in and say well maybe I can fit here because everyone's not the same yeah. but they really love Jesus but they're not the same don't please don't take on other people's mannerisms and clothing and don't do that don't do that don't start dressing like Sam whatever you do that's not even a spiritual point that's just a general point great Sam love you so how do these ministries work apostle, prophet, evangelist pastor, teacher well they're all pretty obvious except the apostle because prophet well they prophesy and they equip people to prophesy hear God's voice and speak his now word evangelists well they proclaim the gospel they equip Believers to share the gospel confidently and fruitfully. Pastor teachers, they shepherd and teach the flock and, and create a pastoral people that are able to handle God's word. Apostle, what does it mean? It's a vague, vague kind of term in many ways. It just means sent one. It means a representative, an ambassador. That's what it means, an apostle. So if you're gonna I just want us to spend some time in understanding what who, who apostles are and how it works biblically. Then you will understand relational mission. If you don't understand apostles, you won't understand relational mission. And you'll end up thinking it's an organisation. And you'll say things like this. Oh, they. Relational mission, they. Listen, there is no they. Uh, It doesn't exist. Relational mission is a family of churches. So, take the churches out. There isn't anything. (laughs) And so often I hear people speak about uh, relational mission in the the third person, right? Is that the right phrase for any English teachers in the room? Oh, they there. I'm thinking there is no they. You know, I, trust me, I helped to lead this family. There is no they. <laughs> it's, it's, what is it? It's we. It's we. And, and, and until we let it really get into us. So I'm going to show you biblically how this thing works. Is that all right? Rest of the sermon. Amen? And then, and then I think we're in a good place to, um, to go on to the next part of the service. So where are we? Okay. Where are we? Apostle. Right. 
first thing is, is they lay foundations. Along with prophets, they lay foundations in a church. Every church and church plant needs apostles and prophets to lay foundations. The prophet, here's what the prophet will do. The prophet will hear from God and give you something specific for your church prophetically. He will, like, he will hear from God so that you will know what your particular contribution as a church is in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? It's so important you have that. Because we're all called on the same mission, but we've all got a different contribution. And so you need a voice of a prophet in to lay some prophetic foundations where you go, we, know, we are carrying prophetic promises, not just as individuals, but as a church that we are laying hold of God for, that we are, we are focusing our money towards, that we're praying into, that we're organising everything around because this is our contribution. Does that make sense? It's foundational. It's, it's in you. It's in you right from the, from the start. And if you haven't got it in at the start, then you go back and you relay that foundation so that you've got it in you right at your core. But how do apostles lay foundations? Well, what apostles will do, number one, he will preach Jesus Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. An apostle will preach on Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's only one foundation that can be laid, and that's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. Any church that is not built on Jesus is going in the wrong direction. In the old days, you lay the cornerstone, it sets the whole shape for the building. So everything is built on Jesus Christ. And as soon as something starts to move away from that, you're in trouble. The Father loves it when we focus on Jesus Christ because the Father has established Jesus as the King. And when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, Jesus Christ is Lord, it's to the glory of God the Father. The Father loves it. The Holy Spirit loves it when we focus on Jesus because he's the spirit of truth. And he comes to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And so a church that is solid on Jesus will be a healthy church. It will be a church that won't be not this way and that by various winds of doctrines because it's measuring everything against Jesus Christ. He's the plumb line. He's the plumb line of doctrine. And what an apostle will do, he will lay that foundation of Jesus Christ in such a strong, solid, powerful, life-giving way that that church is not vulnerable to strange ideas. It's a safe place to be spiritually. The apostle will pray for and look to see the impartation of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders. And these kinds of things. This is what an apostle should be doing among churches. Praying for people to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. If there are people here and you, you say, I'm not sure I've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. I would love to pray for you later. Or if you just know you need a touch from God in some way, I would love to, to serve you. I'd love to pray for you later. Please come and find me. It's part of what we are called to do. Is to, is to see the release of the Holy Spirit and power. So that we are churches that are, when you're really solid and plumb line of doctrine and scripture on Jesus Christ, you can go for it in the Holy Spirit. You don't need your seatbelt on. Okay? But when you're strong in the word, you see? There's that word and spirit blend coming together. So rich in the life of a church. The apostle will want to make sure that we remember the Paul. That one way or the other, we are remembering those who are marginalised, those who are on the edges, those who are vulnerable, that we're not becoming uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Nice Club. That that's not what we're about. But that we are recognising, first in and of ourselves, we are poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. If you haven't got that foundation in you where you know you have nothing to offer God, you've never felt that poverty of spirit before God, that sense of, woe is me, then I question, I question whether you're saved. I think it's an essential foundation to come into crisis where you recognise, I can't do it. I need, so, I need forgiveness as a gift. I'm lost. 
And we come and we find Jesus in that moment, don't we? But that puts something in you so you can never look down on another human being after that's happened. You can, you can never be dismissive of another human being. You can never patronise or you just can't do it because in you, you know, I was lost, but now I'm found. I can't be haughty. I can't look down. How can I look down on someone? Him who is high and lifted up had mercy on me when I was in my most wretched and horrible state. How can I not be kind and generous to others? Does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're, 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 that you're naive and you're taken in by everyone and all of that. No, you've got to be shrewd as a serpent. But there's that thing in you where you know the compassion of God in your heart because he's had compassion on you. Apostles will, apostles will make sure that's put into the church's foundation. Here's the big one. An apostle will make, church, make sure that a church is not obsessed with its locality. But that it cares about its locality, absolutely. And is committed to its locality, yes. But its heart is big enough to be able to breathe in the towns and villages that neighbour itself. Breathe in its nation. Breathe in the nations and say, we are called to the ends of the earth. Whether I live here all the rest of my life or not, we are called to the ends of the earth. I will pray for these nations. I will give in to this because this is the Great Commission. Jesus commissioned all of us, all of us to make disciples to the ends of the earth. And all of us, that will manifest in different ways, but all of us are commissioned in, in that. And it's the most exciting thing in the world. It really, really is. So an apostle will put these things into a church, and faith will come, and the church will go, yes, I'm in for that. I'm up for that. It's the grace of God at work through an apostle. Now, here's the other thing. See, it says this. It says that, and just bear with me on this one, people can get this one wrong. It says that in 1 Corinthians 12, that Jesus has placed the apostles first in the church. First. This is really important. Because, firstly, it doesn't mean that they get private jets and, uh, uh, you know, all that, and, and, and uh, lots of money. Because, actually, the Bible teaches that the first will be last. So there's something about genuine apostles where, actually, you realise um, <laughs> that there's, something, there's a cost that comes with the calling. Okay? But there's a firstness, which means it's not about priority, but it's about order, it's, it's that foundation. If you've got a church built on an evangelistic foundation, people do great evangelistically, and they win people to Christ, but their back door's bigger than their front door. So they come in and they go straight out again. No one gets cared for. You get a church built on a pastoral foundation, everyone's getting looked after really well, and the first year, it's like, this is the best place in the world. But then it implodes in on itself. It becomes navel-gazing, there's no vision, and the thing just dies. It just dies of kind of an undramatic death. You get a church built on a teaching foundation, everyone's doctrinally brilliant, but argumentative. <laughs> they will argue about every little detail of doctrine, and this and that, and the other, it's a nightmare. Church built on only a prophetic foundation will blow up. Just too much prophetic data. In the, in the, the, first the church is the apostle, first, for a reason. All those other ministries find their level around it and are able to operate fruitfully around it. They will find their place around that apostolic grace. And they can operate really well. You need these ministries, but they've got to be connected to an apostle. This is the New Testament pattern. This is the blueprint. Just, just think for a moment about the story of the New Testament. You've got either unnamed, unknown Christians going out, preaching the gospel, people get saved... And then the apostles come in and lay foundations. 
Or you've got apostles, like Paul and others, travelling around, planting churches. Either way, at the earliest stages, the apostles are in, and they're involved physically, their presence is there. It's not just letters, they're, they're there, there's relationship. And, and churches get based on that foundation, and then remain connected relationally. And then what you find is this crossover. People are going there, and that one's now there. Well, they're leaving us now. They're going to travel with Paul for a while. And now Paul's left them there because he needed to move on, but they needed someone there with that gift. And, and you see, and which is why in the letters at the end, you get all these greetings. You know the greetings at the end? Say hello to so-and-so. Give, oh, give her my last my mother in the Lord. You find all this going on. Why? Because they are connected together in apostolic mission. That's the pattern that we are looking for in relation to mission. That we will be churches together, connected, apostolically, seeing all these ministries released, seeing the body of Christ equipped so that we can build it to ourselves up in love, to become a glorious church, which God will love, we, we long for, and the world needs. Amen? Yeah. You understand where I'm getting at? Yeah. Okay. Good. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of vision about RM and then say a little bit about money, just to help you understand it right. And then we're going to do the offering. Is that okay? So I reckon about 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, I've done well there, Sam. I never remembered to do that sort of thing. So I've done, I've done really well behaved there. We are relational mission. That's our, that's our thing. I don't know if Mr. Slides is going to do his thing. We are relational mission. A family of churches. Okay, that's, that's what we are. Together we preach Christ and plant and strengthen churches to the ends of the earth. Straightforward enough? That makes sense? Yeah. Just again, just operating on that New Testament pattern. That's what they did. Whenever they preached the gospel, they planted churches. Whenever they planted churches, they preached the gospel. Because if you're going to preach the gospel and win people to Christ, you want to take responsibility for nurturing those people. Amen? Amen. And so we believe everything connected to the local church. So this is what we do. We preach Christ. We plant and strengthen churches to the ends of the earth. And then the next slide. Our vision is to be globally fruitful, crossing all boundaries to reach the nations make disciples and plant locally led churches. Okay, that's our vision. We want to, so that's what we are and this is our vision. We want to do this in a globally fruitful way. Um, and we ask you today, will you stand with us? Will you embrace this call? Will you allow the Lord to enlarge your heart whereby you're able to say, this is me. This is mine. I'm going to pray into this. I'm going to care about this. See, it's not, it's, money and resource, they follow the heart. But also the heart follows money and resources. It's a funny one. It's one of those strange sorts of movements. The Lord wants to win our heart with his vision. If you can see this is biblical, I want to urge you, in the grace of God, embrace it. Embrace this. If you're thinking, I, I do embrace it, but I want to embrace it more, then I want to ask you to get behind it practically, because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's a funny one. Your, your, your treasure goes where your heart is, but sometimes you go, I know that's what I should be doing, but I'm too scared, or, or I'm not, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm wavering. Sometimes by taking that step practically of putting your time, your prayers, your resources, your money behind something, you, your heart follows because you put your treasure there. Does that make sense? So this, it works in both directions. And then we, we, part of our prophetic foundation, Julian Adams, remember him? He prophesied over Mike about six years ago. He said, you will see more in 20 years than many see in 50. So that caused us to ask ourselves, well, what would that look like? What might, we look like, might that look like? And so we wanted to just let our imagination run wild. And here's what we felt peaceful 
still looking to go for. I don't know if there's another one there. Any the slides or not? Um, not that one, there's another one. No, that's it, is it? That's fine, I can just talk about that, that's fine. So, our desire is to plant five multiplying churches in every continent of the world by 2030. Okay, we want to get five multiplying churches on every continent of the world by 2030. We call that Global 530. We're looking to plant a hundred churches across the UK by 2040. Got two of them in the room. Two churches that we're planting. A hundred across the UK by 2040, UK 140. And this one's nuts. We're looking to plant 20 churches in every of the other 50 European nations by 2050. Yes, that's a thousand churches. We figure that if we go for this, we'll do better than if we don't. <laughs> We're not uptight and worked up about the exact numbers, but we feel this is something to make, to, to grab our hearts and to be able to say to the saints, guys, let's do it. Because those sorts of numbers should make every one of you in your seat think, well, what's my part? Hallelujah and amen. You've got a part to play. You might be here as a prayer warrior. You've got a part to play. You might, be, you might not be that mobile. I can't even get out of my house. I only just made it here today. Please pray. My mum, who um, we, she went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago, but the, the last few weeks of her life, she couldn't leave the, the home. Her response was to step up her text to the family, saying, well, I can't get out, so what should I pray for? i praying all the time now. What a heart. What a heart. Some of you, you might be sitting on nest eggs, sitting on money you want to invest in the kingdom. Come and join us. What is, some people say, well, what do they use the money for? <laughs> Just spend on. In the New Testament, it's generally two things. Number one, the poor. Number two, funding apostolic advance. So, so Paul wrote to the Romans saying, I'm going to come and visit you, and I want you to help me on my way to Spain. We're going to enjoy each other's company, and please help me on my way to Spain, because I want to go and preach the gospel there. And then you'll be familiar with offerings in the New Testament about the poor, looking after the poor in Judea, for example. Essentially, we're just looking, that, that's what the money goes on. Really, mostly. It's the poor. We're planting more and more churches into poor and poorer nations. There's a big momentum now planting into ex-Soviet nations. It's just poorer there. I've been supporting a church there for the last decade, a church plant. It's just poorer. You know, sometimes you think, well, we're not very rich. And then you go somewhere else and you go, oh, we're really rich. Do you know, you know that feeling? You go, oh dear, wow. It's just poor. Um, just, you know, to support people that are pour, pouring their lives into that, it takes money, guys. You know what? Mission takes money. It just does. No one's getting rich. No one's getting fat. They're not just trying to do the stuff and um, carry the nations in our heart and, and care about those places where you think it's just going to take a load of money to get something established there. Because it is. <laughs> it is. People to relocate. It takes people time to work out how to, how to support a family in a certain situation if they've gone as a family. I mean, it just takes a lot of money to get the ministries out there. We need to get apostles out there, get prophets out there, get evangelists out there, get pastors, teachers out there. Why? Because we want the glorious church there, amen? You can see now why. We've got to get these people out there. We don't live in luxury when we go out there. We stay, we do, we stay in cheap hotels or we stay in homes. It's, 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 not, it's all humble, but it takes money. I felt I wanted to share a quick story with you about 
to encourage you guys to get faith for the nations that are on your doorstep. Okay? Think, I know that this probably isn't the most like, multicultural part of the world. Okay? But there will be people here from other nations, right? Sometimes you think, oh, I'm not the person to go there. And my observation is, is that actually, when you go somewhere as a foreign missionary, it's actually quite difficult. You're overcoming loads of obstacles, culturally, linguistically, it's not easy. 1997. Bermondsey, South London. Our church was located between two huge council blocks. We started an every other Friday night youth club for 11 to 14 year olds. Just leave it to the estates, just come along. A little 13 year old girl came along from a country, I'm not going to say where now because it will not be helpful as you get into the story, but from a Middle Eastern country, refugee. Um, her dad was the number two leader of the Communist Party for that nation. She came along. We would do table tennis, snooker, tuck shop, classic youth club, stop everything halfway through, get them in the room and preach the gospel. I actually went for it. After about two years, she gave her life to Jesus. Then her brother gave his life to Jesus. Then her cousin gave his life to Jesus. I say cousin because basically if anyone's close, you call them cousin in their culture. Then her and her cousin got married. The whole time they're facing massive difficulties at home. Mum threatening to kill herself if they don't stop coming to church. I mean, hard persecution, difficult, difficult things. They got married. Then they came planted Revelation Church with us in London, in North London, so they can learn how to church plant. And then about three years ago, they went back to their nation where they came as refugees. And they are now being coached by someone who, in the last 10 years, in the neighboring country has planted 400 churches. Yeah, pretty exciting. But then they're there. Those, they're in their own. They're with their own people. They know the language. They know the culture. They've got family there already. They're, they're straight in. It's absolutely seamless. I mean, they are impressive people. But there's just you just think, ah, God, give us give us vision for the nations on our doorstep because when they come to know Jesus, He might put His heart for their nation into them, and then they go. And oh, actually, you think the whole time you never left Faversham. All you did was open up the doors, open up your home, and open up your heart and talk about Jesus. That's pretty important. Talk about Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit do his work of winning them through and then prepare them and then just see them walk into what God's got for them. God, lift our eyes. We didn't do anything special. We literally opened the doors and made sure we spoke about Jesus. You guys can do that. You guys can do that. So, rounding up now. Uh, in fact, I might finish. <laughs> yeah. How can we equip you? How can we equip you? There's numbers of ways we can equip you. Sometimes things like today is equipping you. I hope. But training, ID. Any of you want to take a year out for God? Doesn't matter if you're 18 or 58. You can do a year out for God with relational mission, where you get a foundational theology put into you. you can give your give a year to the church. You haven't got to be 18. A lot of time they're quite young people to do it. My daughter, God willing, is doing it next year. She'll be 18. But you know, to have a few people a bit older on it is actually really helpful. So if you can do that, please. You think, I've never done any theology training. It's a brilliant foundation. Please consider it. Please pray about it. Lead. Lead is rocking. We've got 100 people on lead. It's absolutely pumping. It's a two-year foundational leadership course. There's 
theology, there's training, there's online huddles. Sign up to lead. I don't know how it works here in these churches. If you've got to ask your leader, ask your leader. If you don't, just sign up. Get him to sign it when he's asleep. You know, come, 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 come. Come on, lead. You want to train and equip and you will be exposed. You're, you, you're just in a setting where your head's being lifted constantly. And you're, it's like, it's, it's the bigger picture. If you're called to be an elder, if you're called to be a pastor, we've got a new call starting in October called Shepherd. Particularly for those who are called to eldership, called to being pastors in the church. We can equip you in these ways. Come to the conferences. Come to the leadership conference next year. Come to Malaga. Malaga. It's not a hard sell. It's not a tough gig. There's a pioneering conference in Malaga in September for all those who feel stirred around pioneering. We can equip you. Get a date in your diaries and go for it. Guys, this is the divine blueprint. We're trying to build according to the pattern. It's not rocket science. It's not clever. But I tell you what, it works. It works. And we see the grace of God released in the body of Christ. So please stand with us today. Please give generously as we do the offering now. Please let it be an act of faith. Let it be an act of joy. Let it be, in, let it be something that, that leaves you in that place where you're trusting God. Uh, go out on the stretch again. Meet God in that place of provision. Let the Holy Spirit stir your heart. Um, maybe we could put that final slide up, please. Um, Mister. Uh, maybe it was the one before that. Uh, Wow, there's loads. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I thought we were at the end last time. You stitched me up there. Here we go. <laughs> so we do believe we need to raise an additional 300 grand. <laughs> By the end of 2020 to enable us to take our next steps towards this vision. If you think, well, what can I do? Look. Obey the Holy Spirit. That's what you can do. I, I, I believe in a God who when we put what we, what we can in his hands, he multiplies it. Amen? Amen? So just find grace in God to do what you can. Stand with us so we can see, we can see this great vision come to pass. So maybe just mention grassroots, give out to see that one up there. But can we just find that slide again? Um, if you can give five pounds per month and five minutes of your time, then maybe just for the price of a couple of costas. You can just help us on a, just giving on a grassroots level as well. Not big offering, just a five, a five pound a month direct debit. That would really help us. If you believe in this, uh, and you believe in kind of, you trust, I guess, those of us that are leading this thing, then I just want to ask you to get behind it. And um, I'm around for the picnic. If you've got any questions you want to ask, you want to dig around, you want to ask, please talk to me. Don't leave me by myself. My family's not with me. I'll eat my sandwich and a bit of grass by myself. Come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you, love to talk with you. I'm going to hand back to the guys here now who are going to do what they do. Amen.